Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we have a packed guest list including Camille, Tim, Lachlan, Lauren and Lucy, along with Justin. Why is it that some things go viral? Why do odd pictures, funny news stories or pictures of cats spread further across the internet than your ramblings on a certain important topic? What is the science behind viral images? And what are some of the ways that artificial intelligence is being used by places like Tumblr and the Me community? And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. So if you've been on the internet this week and have finished laughing at the escapades of two runaway llamas, you probably turned your attention to the plight of people's observations of the colour of a dress. Now, I'm not going to talk about that dress. It's been covered fantastically by much better scientists and much better science communicators than myself. What I am going to talk about, however, is the science of behind why things go viral in the first place. Why did we all laugh at those llamas haplessly running away from some even more hapless um, animal control people? And why did we have such outrage at this picture of this dress? What is the science behind what makes us do that? And it may seem a bit silly. Now, for starters, this is big business dollars. These viral images or videos or what have you mean big marketing success. So people from Facebook to car companies will really want to understand what makes people engaged with their content. Everyone does who's trying to share something, including us here at LaGrange Point. So what actually makes something successful? What do you need to have there to coerce the mind into finding something interesting, to convince someone to click that link or engage in that conversation to share or to repost? And therefore, this involves a lot of behavioral psychology and actual coming up with what makes the best image for viral content. And a lot of research has been done into this. Now, this isn't anything new. Aristotle, famed Greek philosopher, writer, commentator, categorized things going viral back in over 350 BCE. And what he thought for something going viral, and he didn't call it going viral because they obviously did not have the internet to share things, but things could still spread through the culture, mostly through the form of speeches and oratory. And he defined that things as being memorable as something that had ethos, so appealing to the ethics, something appealing to emotion, and something appealing to logic. So tackling three kind of big key themes. And he outlined this 2,000 plus years ago. However, what else do we know about it? not just something that appeals logically or something that appeals to the emotion. There's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be reasons why lolcats and dresses and llamas make the front page more than another story. So recently in 2014, Jonah Berger and Catherine Milkman analysed roughly 7,000 articles um, that appeared in the New York Times website, so a pretty high bar standard, let's, let's say, so more than just your average Twitter or Tumblr feeds. And controlling for factors like author prominence, so who was how big a name was sharing the content, what they found was that Content that was more emotional, had more emotional content, went viral more often in their 7,000 sample size study than non-emotional pieces. This meant that in their study of 7,000 articles, if something had a stronger emotional appeal, it would spread further, which is clearly outlining that the pathos element in Aristotle's terms is more significant. Um, They didn't just stop there, though. They went deeper into the analysis and what they found, this is this is great, it's not just emotions in general that they appeal to. It's got to be a really high arousal emotion. So in, in 
psychology terms, high arousal emotions are awe, anger, anxiety. Right? So things that are generally used to whip people into action. Whereas low arousal emotions, sadness, um, things like that, they leave us more subdued. So if you hit them with a high arousal emotion, um, such as humor, anger, or anxiety, then it will be more likely, they found, 34% more likely um, to share. Uh, specifically, in that case, 34% more likely to share when it elicited more than one standard deviation of anger response. Um, so also this study found that uh, an article which elicited more than one standard deviation of anger, so something that really aroused that anger emotion in people, um, would get shared more than 34%. And that equates to leading, leaving something on the front page of the New York Times website, one of the most visited websites in the world, for an extra three hours. So that, that's if something's more, more inspiring of anger, then it will actually get spread further. Now, Berger is a well-established researcher in this field. He's published several books on this. And he's very prominent in the field of psychological science. But it's not just obviously anger and sadness that plays into these factors you also have to know your audience and understand why things will actually then appeal to it another big factor which can be manipulated by knowing your audience is the presence of a memory inducing trigger so this is another thing that Berger has found is that if you have something that relates to a memory inducing trigger nostalgia for example and this is something places like BuzzFeed and Cracked are very great on appealing to um, anyone who's shared or looked at something as you're a 90s kid if kind of scenarios, anything that has a memory trigger in it will actually also elicit a stronger response. Another really important part of this equation is of course the fact that these are used, and this is a behavioral psychology term, as kind of an insider handshake. You use it subtly and craftedly to actually indicate that you too understand these cool jokes and, and part of that insider culture. And if somebody else, such as a big company, tries to cash in on the meme, on the concept, then they're not part of that insider culture and they'll be mocked or ridiculed for it. So the sharing of these images, the creating of new ones or riffing on the same idea, for an example, Rage Comics or Lolcats, is all part of that cultural exchange inside a joke atmosphere. So that's another aspect of what makes something successfully shared or not. You can't just spend a lot of money pushing an image out there as a big company because if you're not speaking the right language, you can get picked up because people have pretty good sense of that. So another key element is, of course, that insider, getting the insider culture right. So what have we talked about? We've talked about having an appeal to nostalgia and memory, having an appeal to strong emotions, um, a high arousal emotions such as anxiety, humor, or anger, and also uh, knowing the audience, speaking the right language to actually engage it. So if we look at all those things together, that goes to show why, for example, the, the dress story is so popular. One of the reasons is that it, because of the way that differing people would have really divergent views on it and um, really staunch, strong views, it meant that it elicited a high anger response not so much of seeing the individual picture, but a high anger response when other people were seeing it differently to you. That also creates a kind of insider culture, one group against another group that makes you feel like you belong. And so it's really appealing to two strong elements there, which is great from a viral perspective and is one of the reasons why it probably spread so much.
Another interesting aspect of this that has also been researched is the colour of a viral image. Now, I'm not talking about colour science and the dress colour or anything like that. What I am talking about is the fact of what types of colours are spread in general on the internet. If you analyse viral images or videos, you can actually see which colours are dominant and which colours are more likely to be shared. In fact, one researcher uh, from Georgia Tech University, Bakshi, actually sat down for a PhD thesis and analysed colours that were more prominent on things like Pinterest, Tumblr and a variety of other sources. And what that is used for is it's it's a part of colour psychology. Now, that has applications for everything from marketing on the internet to cars to product design to sports team. Um, you know, and it's been often shown in colour psychology through another other landmark studies that sport teams that wear red, for example, are more likely to win or waitresses wearing red are more likely to receive tips from their male customers or prisoners who sit in shell, cells painted with pink are shown to be karma. So colour can have an important impact on the mind. And so what um, Ms. Richester did, actually did for her PhD study, was analyse the types of colours present on social media and see uh, which, uh, you know, which colours were more likely to be associated with a, a more viral image. So for example, on Instagram, photos with faces are more popular than those of natural settings. Um, Flickr which has a lot of filters to saturate colour, um, ones with more saturated, more vibrant colours are more shared. And that's one of the really interesting aspects of it, is platform dependent. There's no perfect template or formula for a certain colour scheme depending on the system that you use. So for example, on Pinterest, which is mostly about 70% female uh, as a user base, they found that uh, over 1 million images, she found that the colours of red, purple and pink were more likely to be shared or repinned than uh, uh, blue, green, black and yellow, uh, which is quite interesting in terms of what makes a viral image viral. So we've talked about a lot of different things about viral images so far, and we've talked about how memory and appeal to memory is important, appealing to a strong emotion such as anger, humour, anxiety or is also useful. And we've also talked about how you need to speak the right cultural language. The right colour, depending on the platform and audience, will also really help spread because colours elicit different responses from people. Now, the final part of this is all is the observer effect. Once you start coming up with a formula or a theory to do something, people are aware of that. So if you try to craft the perfect meme or viral image using this, more and more, you'll actually find that people start having a response to that and then you change the circumstance. So once you start taking actions based on this new information that you or I now possess, um, it over time starts to evolve and change the landscape, which means that what once was really viral now no longer will be. And you can see that in the way that memes and things that are viral change and spread over time. So it's a constant struggle if you're in the business of marketing to be ahead of that curve and knowing where the culture lies. Because otherwise, you can just be seen as someone jumping on the bandwagon. So what's happening is Yahoo is... Um, Actually doing something. Laying Actually down doing something. Wall. But not so much that, so much as the music companies have bots that crawl websites, including Tumblr, because you can now um, download. Download. You can, there's a like click to oh, download function on Tumblr's music player now. That makes sense. So they're crawling Tumblr for metadata that relates to content that they own, and then automating a list of blogs to take down from that. And then Tumblr is just auto taking down those those blogs. Wow. 
because that's the easiest solution. Yeah. Well, that, that that's why yeah. you don't add a download Tumblr Tumblr stuff. But Yahoo did that because <laughs> like, Yahoo added download button. I don't know why. Um, why is downloading more of a problem than is streaming anyway? Isn't it still a violation of copyright if you're streaming it? It only? is, but it's harder to prove. Yeah. Like because well, then you have, have copy a copy that you can do other things with. Once you've downloaded it, you've actually then got. Uh, it's the difference between hearing something over the radio and hearing something over the radio and then recording it. So because then you can remix it and do yeah. what you like with it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Then you, you have a copy of that. You technically own the copy. Yeah. Oh my God, and, and then like that, that's that. That was always a big dis- big thing about tape players and radio players that you could hit record on your tape player because you're hooked up to your radio and it would record the song. But it wasn't really easy to mass produce that and yeah. then do anything with it, aside from like um, DJs and beatboxes and, and yeah. R&B hip hop movement in the eighties and nineties. That was all based on mix, right? so that kind of whole thing. And that's what they did, but they did it really analog way, and you couldn't really then go remix it, upload it, and make money through advertising revenue from it. Yeah. That's where you're profiting off somebody else's work and then not giving them their credit. That's that's where they would have a problem with it. Okay, and how do these robots actually... So these are actually, like, robots, like, automated programs? Yeah. Yeah, Lots yeah like so the it's same, a crawler. Yeah, like, the same thing that gives you that gives you the data that comes up on Google. Like, when you go to Google and it has a site and then, like, a sample text underneath... How that, does it work? That's collected by a bot. It's just a bot that just basically goes through every page. Yeah. It's, these bots look specifically for metadata and tags associated with music content. What's metadata? <laughs> Ask George Brandis, our attorney general. You'll <laughs> <laughs> get a very interesting answer. Mad Dad was like, you know when you look at a music file, it tells you the artist and the title and the other. So, so, so look, looking at this, what my music player is doing currently is that it's actually then going, looking at the metadata and then trawling the rest of the library's it, metadata. It, it's, not looking at the, it's not looking at the audio files themselves. It's not looking at the audio part of the file. It's looking at the other, everything else that isn't audio. So in that file, so stuff that tells you what artist is, what year is produced. Etc. And then taking that to a database and saying, what else do we know about these types of things? It's how, it, it's how stuff fetches like album art and stuff, because it finds, it finds the album and the title and then looks at, compares that metadata to the album art's metadata, because it can't look at the audio and can't look at the, at the picture directly, but it can look at all the stuff, all the information attached to that. Yeah, so Not to mention directly comparing audio to audio or picture yeah. to picture would be incredibly more expensive in yeah. terms of com- computing, computing power. Computing power yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and like whereas you can go and say this track is got this artist, maybe the artist's name is misspelled, maybe the album title's misspelled, but the track length is the same total time as this record, which is matching kind of maybe eighty percent. So then I can tie those two together. So you don't even need to be right. You just need to be halfway there, mm. and you can try and put those together reasonably well. This is different to YouTube's um, system of censorship, where it can actually detect yeah. audio for audio, yes. yeah. Yeah. and then rip it out. Yeah. So, but you're saying that's a lot more computationally, computationally intensive. Yeah. yeah, which is why people can get away with having stuff on YouTube for a while before it's taken down. Because it takes a while for their computers to grind through everything. Yeah. 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 And it's also the difference between uploading video, which is an inherently more complex thing to process, yeah. than it is to um, pass an audio track. Yeah, there's an audio, an audio track upload to Tumblr retain the most of the data. Yeah. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we found out that colour, appealing to emotion, and having a certain sense of the right cultural handshake can help make an image go viral. We also discussed some of the way AI is being used to help filter and keep the streets safe on Tumblr. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Addicts. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.